Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, hello again, everybody. It is the Blue Gold Report podcast. I am Mike Rags. Going to bring in Todd Burlich here in a second. And obviously, this is our first show since the bitter defeat from a couple of weeks ago. of Notre Dame football getting crushed by Clemson. We're going to break down that game, talk about it, talk about the future for the team, the comings and goings, which some rumors had a coach goings, uh, but hopefully that they were just rumors, to say the least, with all the head, head coaching jobs getting filled. Uh, we'll look at some basketball, too. The women get a big win this week as they knock off number two Louisville who were just chomping at the bit to get their first number one seed all time at that program uh, but Notre Dame prevailed uh, we'll talk some men and uh, we've got a heck of a lot to talk about and uh, we even have a special guest too that's right that's how big this show is David Haw from 670 the score and sports columnist for the Chicago Tribune will join us later on talk about the future of uh, college football playoff bids for Notre Dame and now and I'll bring Todd in with this question here of course because the big debate is how bad did Notre Dame's chances get hurt now for bids with their performance in the playoffs this first round Uh, Todd Burlidge he writes for Blue Gold Illustrated all things Notre Dame Todd have you recovered from a couple of weeks ago (laughs) <laughs> I have, yeah. It was it was so bitter. We had to take last week off. I actually didn't <laughs> want to take last week off, but uh, something came up and uh, an emergency happened at the last minute. But indeed, I have. Um, I'm I'm curious to uh, pick David Hall's mind on that because that's sort of been the grand debate since Notre Dame lost to Clemson thirty to three. You know, does this will this resonate? What will this kind of hold them back from getting more bids and I think part of that is all the banter that went into it that Notre Dame didn't deserve to be there yeah. in the first place uh, so we'll expand on that a little bit later in the show but I think it's an interesting topic and my whole thing is I would still argue that Clemson's schedule was very light as well and even in a conference but does this put pressure on Swarbrick and Kelly to finally decide maybe uh, having the play in a conference championship will go that route I doubt it but it is definitely worth discussing and we'll talk to David Howe about it uh, later on in the show but we always start a blue gold report and by the way it's brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes and wherever you found us make sure you rate and review us and subscribe to the blue gold report 2019 edition let's do it Todd you've got blue gold nuggets whole bunch of them when you take a week off these things stockpile pretty good uh Autry Denson uh he he interviewed for the head coaching job at Georgia or I'm sorry Charlton Charleston Southern this week uh, Mark Tucker resigned there, and Denson has climbed to at least a finalist at this position. And it sounds as if he is offered that job, which is supposed supposed to happen on Monday, that he will indeed take it. Denson's college coaching career hasn't been long, but it, it, he's risen right up the ladder in a big hurry. Uh, he was the running backs coach at Bethune Cookman um, from 11, 2011 to 2013, then went on and spent one season under Chuck Martin, a former Notre Dame assistant at Miami of Ohio. Uh, that was in 2014, and then Brian Kelly hired him here to Notre Dame in 2015. He really has done a nice job because he's had a lot thrown at him between dismissals and early early NFL draftees and whatnot. He turned C.J. Procise into a wonderful running back coming off the wide receiver position, so you can't argue with the success he's done. We'll have to wait and see. We should know more about that next week. Final AP poll is out, and Notre Dame comes in at number 5. It's the fifth time all time since the poll was launched in 1936 that Notre Dame finished Fifth, number five. They have 24 top five appearances all time, but it's the fifth at number five. 
Um, so pretty good stuff there. Um, it, it was debatable. Some people online were saying, why only five? I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, it goes basically their only loss was to Clemson. Meanwhile, Ohio State lost to, by 29 to Purdue, a 6-7 and seven team. Oklahoma had two losses. They rank ahead of them. It obviously went Clemson and then Alabama, then Ohio State, Oklahoma, and then Notre Dame. But it doesn't really matter when it comes right down to it. It's still a top-five ranking. And on a related note, ESPN's way-too-early top-25 poll for next season is out already, and it basically mirrors the final AP poll. Notre Dame comes in at number five on that one. In a little, finally, it's about time note, Rocket Ishmael has has finally been, uh, he'll be inducted into the Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame as part of the 2019 class. This has really been a long time coming. I mean, what a dynamic player. I, I can't help but wonder how great he'd be in the NFL given the new rules and how open the game is, you said it. Uh, just how wonderful he'd be. Um, he becomes the 47th Irish player all-time to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Rags, USC is second on that list with only 32, so Notre Dame has that covered. Uh, since Tim Brown won the Heisman in 1987 here at Notre Dame, Rocket came the closest. He finished second to Ty Detmer in 1990. Um, he holds career record. He had five kickoff returns here at Notre Dame. He will join a class that includes Texas quarterback Vince Young, MSU running back Lorenzo White, NC State wide receiver Torrey Holt, and Arizona State quarterback Jake Plummer, just to name a few there. Um, Rocket Ishmael remains the only player in NCAA history uh, to have two games with two kickoff returns. So good for him. Again, overdue, to say the least. On more of a tragic note, uh, this kind of came out of nowhere. 26-year-old former Irish player Josh Atkinson he died. Uh, the details were not really released. Released A little bit sketchy on that one, but still too bad. Um, his twin brother, George, who also played here at Notre Dame, uh, released that news via social media. Uh, Josh was a two-year monogram winner. Football, he had so-so career. He was a, a decent player, uh, defensive back, 10 career tackles, played and appeared in 26 games. He was a heck of a sprinter on the Irish track team, though. Uh, finished fourth in 2012 in the Big East Championships in the 100-meter uh, that was, and then uh, in the outdoor championships, he was fifth, in, and then and then the indoor championships, he was fifth in the sixty meter that same year. So, uh, too bad there. A little tragic news. His dad played. The, his, his dad played for the Raiders too. He was on a Super Bowl yeah. team. Yeah. So yeah. That yep, stinks. Yep. Yep. George there for sure. Yeah. That that was too bad. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere. Obviously, a lighter note. Quentin Nelson. He's been named to the Pro Bowl as a rookie. He became the first Colts offensive lineman to ever make the Pro Bowl as a rookie since 1983 and only the third all-time. Interestingly, that Andrew Luck had so many problems taking sacks, man. He was getting knocked all over. You know what? Um, This year, with Quentin Nelson added to this, they only gave up 16 sacks all season, which was second best in the NFL. So certainly uh, a, a nice addition for the Colts, needless to say. And finally, Dante, Dante Vaughn, a defensive back, cornerback, a much maligned cornerback for Notre Dame after the Clemson performance. He had shoulder surgery, and he is expected to return and be ready to go for spring ball. And those are blue gold nuggets. All right, Todd, before we look uh, back at the Clemson game, uh, let you know the deadline to uh – Say you're going to the NFL draft is coming up Monday, and there's a lot of changes coming up, especially on offense for Notre Dame with some players saying, yeah, I'm going to opt for the NFL draft. So why don't you give us some comings and goings, and we'll react to see how this team will be affected by it uh, coming up later on in 2019. Yeah, Notre Dame comes out pretty looking pretty well at this point, uh, especially with the recent uh, announcement of Chase Claypool, the junior wide receiver, that he will stay at Notre Dame. 
Looks like the only one really to jump ship as a true junior will be Julian Love, the fine cornerback, All-American cornerback. Kind of seen that coming because he actually graded out as a second-round pick uh, during his NFL draft evaluation. So can't really argue with him for, for, for leaving. Miles Boykin also out of here. But he was a senior, so I don't really count him as an underclassman. Sure, but he could have stayed. I mean, he could have stayed. Yeah, Yeah. he still had eligibility left, and I think he should have stayed, actually. He was sort of on the ascent, and I think he really could have had a monster year next year, but he thought it was time to go. And then Alizé Mack, this cat, he just didn't like school. He was another senior, so he's out of here as well. had eligibility remaining. Uh, But I'm kind of kind of focus on the juniors, and here's the good news. We already mentioned Claypool, but a couple stud defensive linemen are back. Uh, Julian Aquara, he was absolutely Notre Dame's best pass rusher last year, in my opinion. Uh, he set a program record with 21 quarterback hurries. He was tied with Jerry Tillery with eight sacks for team lead. And then Khalid Kareem on the other side, he had a breakout year as well with 42 total tackles, 10.5 tackles for loss, and 4.5 and sacks. So really good news there, especially with Tillery and Jonathan Bonner, both gone, both graduated and gone. For these guys to come back, that's that's big doings. Kind of interesting. Uh, since the what what year was it? I think it was it was nineteen ninety that players were allowed to leave after their junior year, and since then Notre Dame has had fifteen players. Fifteen players since the nineteen ninety leave after their junior year. Ten of them have come under Brian Kelly. Let me run down this list real quick. Rocket Ishmael was one in nineteen ninety. He was the first. Jerome Bettis and Tom Carter, cornerback, nineteen ninety three. Bobby Taylor, another cornerback. 1995, and Darius Walker, and probably the surprise on this list in 2007. That ended up not being a very good move. Uh, but under Brian Kelly, uh, like I said, Julian Love, he becomes the 10th player, 10th uh, junior to leave early. Kyle Rudolph did it in 2011, tight end. Stefan Tuitt, defensive lineman, and Troy Nicholas, tight end in 2014. Actually, George Atkinson was part of that list, too, but I think he just entered the NFL draft because they were kind of running him out of school. Uh, 2016, Jalen Smith, linebacker, and Will Fuller. There's a star-studded group there. Uh, 2017, Deshaun Kaiser, and then Josh Adams and Equinemius St. Brown last year. So that's kind of your list of the juniors that are left early for Notre Dame. So we wish Julian Love well. He should go early in the draft. He'll perform well at the Combine, I'm convinced, and probably the right move for him. But all in all, with all these other juniors coming back, it looks like a pretty good offseason for Notre Dame when they look to replace their or return a lot of top talent. Aquaro was huge, but if you look at the NFL draft right now, there's a reason why he didn't leave. Defensive lineman, there is a wazoo of first-rounders that he probably said, you know what, if I stay yeah. another year, on a normal year, there'll be more need for a pass rusher. Sure. This is not the year to get out. He would have dropped a little bit in the draft, so probably a wise move. And after Boykin, you know, after dropping a couple passes the other night, I wasn't as upset about him <laughs> going to the NFL right. draft. But anyway, uh, he did have a nice, solid career for them i i always wanted a little bit more out of him todd i i, I just felt like he left a lot on a, a lot out on the field he'd have a lot of great high moments but all in all he never took over a game as much as i wanted him to and i think he'd be the first to agree with you rags i really do and he took it upon himself to really improve as a person and a player this year and a lot of that showed you mentioned aquara and i think kareem as well these guys could use another year under matt ballas i, I aquara is very much still undersized 
He's sort of becoming that prototypical pass rusher that you're seeing in the NFL, but he could use a few more pounds and a little more strength. So I think it really he could play himself, like you said, into definitely a top three-round draft pick. I firmly believe that. All right, I'm not going to uh, sit here and tell you that I'm big into this All-American Bowl, but a lot of draft picks come out of it, a lot of pro bowlers, a lot of great players do play in the game. It was last week in, in San Antonio. What did we learn uh, from this as far as Notre Dame? We learned that Notre Dame had four commits. I'm not big on it either. (laughs) Four commits in the game. I'm not big on it either, Rags. It's not really my thing, but it certainly is worth mentioning because it is a big deal to a lot of people. Um, Three four-star players. The biggest one probably that everybody kind of has their eye on is safety Kyle Hamilton. We've mentioned him a number of times because it appears he's going to jump into that five-star category. And that's very rarefied air here at Notre Dame. They, They just don't pull in. A lot of five-star players, so it looks like he's going to be there. He certainly looked the part in San Antonio. I think what jumped out at a lot of people was just what a great leader he was emerging as, uh, just a great teammate, a great leader, not to mention a great player. So he really made his mark not only on the field, uh, but in a lot of other ways. I think probably the Notre Dame player, uh, Andrew Kristofik, the offensive lineman, he's probably the guy that made the biggest splash uh, during these events down here. He's 6'6", 265 pounds. Uh, he's the number 27 offensive tackle in the country. Another top offensive lineman, a great get for Notre Dame. and certainly looks ready to go. Uh, four-star defensive end, Nana Osafo-Mensa. Nice. Uh, 6'4", 220. Yeah, you just got to keep on a roll, and you, whether it's wrong or right, baby. Uh, well, we got to get to Ogunbowale later. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. One for one so far. A mixed bag here. Once some battles, lost some battles. He's the number 9 defensive end. He's going to be a fine player, too. And then the punter, the number 4 punter in the country, Jay Bramlett. He was coming off an injury, so a little bit inconsistent. Uh, don't read too much into that. He's a punter for crime's sake. And then a couple of uncommitteds that Notre Dame has an eye on, and they're actually Notre Dame is a finalist to uh, earn their services. Defensive end, Isaiah Foskey. Uh, and a linebacker, Asa Turner. A little bit of a mixed bag for both of those guys as well. I think Foskey will end up at Notre Dame. He's a heavy lean that way. Turner was originally committed to Washington, but has now added Notre Dame to his list. That's a coin flip right there. So that's kind of a a brief breakdown of what went on down in San Antonio. All right, we're going to bring him in right now. Uh, He writes for the Chicago Tribune. You might know him from the Mully and Haw show. Uh, He did 670 to score in Chicago. And we're here to talk a little bit about Notre Dame and what uh, the loss in the uh, playoff could possibly mean for future bids. It's uh, David Haw. Dave, it's Mike Rags and uh, Todd Burlich here with the Blue Gold Report. How you doing, my friend? Doing well, guys. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. You know, it. You know, a lot of debate went in about uh, Notre Dame getting this bid as an undefeated team. Everybody, all the Notre Dame fans, say, "Hey, we went no, we went undefeated. We deserve it." There were a lot of people looking at the schedule, saying, "Well, wait a minute. Just because they're undefeated, doesn't necessarily mean they automatically get it." Now, in the future, because of this loss, does it affect future bids? And uh, will there be skepticism now as the committee looks at an undefeated Notre Dame team? There's always going to be skepticism. You know, I think that's the one thing you learn after being around Notre Dame football forever is that there's always going to be that skepticism. But I think it's just uh, a lot of noise sometimes. And, and I have been of the belief all season long that, you know, it's, it's more about what you do over the course of 12 games than it is, you know, in, in four quarters. And, and I think that, you know, you look at Notre Dame's disappointing effort against Clemson and certainly – it wasn't much of an argument uh, for you know their their worthiness of being there. At the same time, you know, I don't think that Alabama getting blown out by Clemson in the national championship game 
says that they were, you know, or they they were, you know, where they shouldn't have been, and they didn't earn that right to play for the national championship. I, I just think that we become so accustomed to reacting to small sample sizes, and, and we sort of forget that Notre Dame played a you know pretty difficult national schedule. Um, the month of November, they went all across the country, and they did this with uh, with a defense that was pretty good all year long, with a quarterback that was very efficient. And they ran into a Clemson team that was peaking at the right time, uh, that has a once in a you know kind of a generational type quarterback mm-hmm. with uh, deep skill and um, good defensive line depth. I, I just don't think that sounds like anything more than an overreaction to me, personally watching it from from here. So I would not think that um, I would not be of the, of the camp with to say that they didn't earn it because I think they did. Talking to David Hall, renowned columnist for the Chicago Tribune and co-host of the Mully and Hall Show, 670, the score there in Chicago, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Man, that is early, brother. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> what's what's funny to me is, so Notre Dame, and, and you kind of brought it up, David, uh, Notre Dame loses to Clemson by 27, Alabama loses to him by 28. Um, <laughs> certainly we wouldn't say Alabama doesn't belong there. Does that maybe sort of squelch, because you mentioned just how good Clemson is this year, does that maybe sort of tone down some of the rhetoric about Notre Dame not belonging there just because the number Clemson did on Alabama? Maybe so. I think that, you know, you start to you start to ask the question, what's wrong with college football? Uh, is it good for college football if, if Clemson and Alabama are playing every year for the national title? I, I think that, you know, it, it should quiet it down, Todd. I, I think that, you know, when you look at the Notre Dame game specifically, it's very difficult to make the argument that, you know, they were – that game was closer than the score indicated. And yet, I know every Notre Dame fan who watched it understood that, you know, the, the injury to Julian Love, his absence created some mismatched situations. Um, mm-hmm. And once things got away from Notre Dame, it was hard to recover. And it's not a great come-from-behind team. I mean, Ian Book is more of a guy that you like when you're in front and he's making things happen. So, I mean, they, they're flawed, but every team was flawed. Alabama was flawed. So I think it probably should kind of mute some of the the complaints and um, maybe put some things in perspective. Dave, I wonder, and a lot of you know, because a lot of the beef is too about Notre Dame not being in a conference now, and it kind of ruffles some people's feathers. Does that loss put any kind of pressure on the program, Swarbrick, Kelly, to reevaluate their uh, theory of just like, like we like to go coast to coast recruiting? We really don't want to get in a conference. Does it put any pressure on them to maybe join a conference at some point? I understand why you would ask that, and I, and I really respect the conversation because that is a natural extension of, of the argument. At the same time, I could argue the other way, and I, and I have said this you know, uh, on the air. I, I think that what happened to Notre Dame this season almost reaffirmed their independence. I mean, it showed that however many people want to complain about the system, the system does exist so that Notre Dame, being an independent, benefited them this year. They did not have a conference championship game. They did not have to play that 13th game. They did not have to run the risk of getting eliminated. Now, does that hurt them in recruiting? Does that make them, you know, maybe a little more vulnerable because they have an extra week to wait and maybe their team, you know, becomes more stale or, or the layoff is too, uh, too large and too sure. long? Maybe. But at the same time, if I'm Jack Swarbrick and I'm Brian Kelly, I'm looking at what just happened. I'm thinking, boy, you know, our independence was a good thing this year. So, 
you know, I've been through this with Notre Dame in the past. I can remember being in London when they considered joining the Big Ten. I know there's been other conversations over the years, but I just think that they are, it's too much a part of who they are to kind of reconsider it right now. And Dave, I'm 100% with you because there's even in a conference it doesn't guarantee a tougher schedule. You could make the argument Clemson had a lighter schedule than Notre Dame and they were in a conference. So I don't think that necessarily yep. makes, you know, it gives them the reason to be in a conference. I think it would be a knee-jerk reaction to be honest with you and I don't think that Notre Dame historically when it, as it pertains to their football program makes a lot of knee-jerk reactions. I think that, you know, you th- this doesn't seem like the time to do that. I think it's, it, it's the other way. And, um, you know, geographically and uh, for, for recruiting bases, I, I don't think the same arguments that apply to some schools who make the conference argument apply to Notre Dame football because um, as bad, as badly as the season ended, you still look back, and this is one of the biggest surprises in college football, if you ask me. You change quarterbacks, you go from Wimbush to Book, and they do what they did. And I think that that's an that's something that you look at and say, wow, you know, they had a really good year. Yeah, I agree, David. And, and it's interesting because, yeah, you talk about conference and conference championships, but at the same time, Notre Dame travels all over. You know, they, they, they're represented in the Pac-10. Uh, they played an SEC team this year, a couple Big Tens, obviously the heavy presence in the ACC. So I think, in my at least in my opinion, that kind of cancels out that conference championship game. I want to ask you a general question about the momentum and sort of state of the union here. If you go back, Notre Dame is now twenty three and four in its last two seasons. I'm sorry, twenty two and four. And since the Georgia loss last year, they're twenty two and three. And meanwhile, t- people still want to henpeck at these guys. So let me just ask you: What's your take on the momentum and standing of this Notre Dame program right now? Well, I think that what happened a couple of years ago, it seems as if Brian Kelly was, you know, he had a, you know, whether it was a conversation, whether it was a revelation, whatever it was, it seems like a, a moment that was pivotal in his tenure. And, and I think that in the, over the last two seasons, um, this season confirmed that the, the direction was sort of changed and, and they started to make progress that maybe not a lot of people saw coming, at least I didn't. And I think that, you know, they're competitive to the point where this is the top ten uh, team. Now they could take. Does that mean they're going to? Uh, they're not going to take a half step backward next year because of the depth and because of some other issues. Well, you, you probably uh, probably will happen, and it's, you're probably you know wise to expect that. At the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if they overcome that either, because what's happened in the last two seasons is I think they've kind of regained the benefit of the doubt, and um, you know Notre Dame football has gone. You know, a long time since his last national championship, and, and you know that's a that's a debate for another day, perhaps. But I think when you talk about momentum, it's hard for me to look at this program and, and the way that they've recruited and the way that they've executed on Saturdays and done it the rest of the week, and, and not see progress and not see reason for um, optimism. So, you know, a lot of people will have uh, opinions on Brian Kelly, who remains, you know, polarizing uh, in many ways. But I, but I think in fairness, you know, even those of us who have been critical of him at times throughout his tenure have to be fair and say, you know, he, he did a great job this year. The National Coach of the Year honor was deserving. And mm-hmm. um, that's, a, that's a heck of a lot to sell to a recruit who's deciding what to do with his college future. All right, David, I'm gonna, we're, it's, it's time to go a little rapid fire with you. You're probably not familiar with it. But talking to David Haw, columnist with the Chicago Tribune and co-host of the Mully and Hall Show, 
670 the score 5 a.m to 9 a.m Monday through Friday you can certainly find that online we're gonna I want some quick hitters from you got a few questions uh, a little bit of Notre Dame stuff a little bit of personal stuff uh, let's do this best venue you've ever covered a game in oh my favorite venue was Brigham Young Notre Dame played Brigham Young back in the 90s I forget what year it was but that was a beautiful backdrop and that's always my favorite when people ask me that most memorable game you've ever covered most memorable game I ever covered well if, are we talking Notre Dame football <laughs> nope nope just in no, your career any, any, oh okay in my career game 7 2016 Cubs World Series beat the Indians terrible deadline memorable experience and uh, <laughs> that's one you'll never forget yeah I kind of had a feeling that's what was coming I was staying with the pro <laughs> theme Cubs, Bulls, Bears, White Sox favorite team to cover uh, you know what? I probably my favorite team to cover is the Blackhawks. I my son's a hockey player. I, I've gotten into the Hawks. They got three cups in the last ten years, and uh, they're these things first class all the way. So I would say that uh, Blackhawks. Foolish of me to leave that off the list. Actually, one word to describe Theo Epstein, uh, Cubs GM. Uh, boy, Theo Epstein in one word would be fascinating. One word to describe manager Joe Madden. Centric. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Who is your favorite ND player of all time, football player? Favorite Notre Dame football player of all time is Archer Denson. Uh, he was a guy that was really a professional uh, approach when he was a college player and always found him fun to watch and great to cover. How many wins for Notre Dame next year? Ten. Pizza or steak? Uh, chicken. <laughs> I love it, love it. Will Brian Kelly stay at Notre Dame through his 2021 contract? Uh, I would say no. I, I think that uh, the, the NFL interest that she flirts with every so often is probably going to come to fruition, and uh, I would say uh, he'll be gone before 2021. Which do you enjoy more, the writing or the radio? I'm a writer. I'll always be a writer. I love writing. Um, but I do enjoy radio, but I, I always I look at myself first as a writer. Netflix or cable? Cable. <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Um, we go every so often to uh, the Cayman Islands, and um, it's one of those places where it's very relaxing, very laid back, and who knew that they do have a hockey rink on the island? <laughs> very nice. Two more. Will Notre Dame win a national title in the next 20 years? Yes. Yes. 20 years, absolutely. Maybe even the next 10. Nice. And will Notre Dame feature a Heisman Trophy winner in the next 20 years? Um, yes, but I don't think he's enrolled yet. <laughs> Fair I, enough. I've got a bonus one for David uh, okay. Haw. Uh, thoughts of Cody Parkey on Good Morning America. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We, we spent a lot of time talking about that uh, on Friday morning, and I don't know what he was doing there. I give him credit for being accountable after he missed the field goal on Sunday night. But if I'm a, if I'm a Bears uh, player, I'm wondering, what the heck are you doing on national television? And played well in the living room, but not so well in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> at David Haw, he spells it H-A-U-G-H, uh, co-host of Mully and Haw on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. And, of course, the Chicago Tribune great columnist. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks, guys. That was fun. All right, so that's David Hall. We kind of looked ahead there, uh, uh, Todd, about uh, where this you know team is going to go. And you know, it, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the Clemson game. I think some people 
We're kind of disappointed we weren't on last week. Kind of want to get our general feelings of the game, which I've tried to pretty much forget, let's be honest, uh, because there wasn't much to remember other than the fact that, look, obviously Clemson is a powerhouse team. We saw it again against Alabama. You know, to me, it just looked like the team couldn't get on track. They were underprepared. Even Brian Kelly was underprepared. They just couldn't get anything going, especially offensively. Uh, They just seemed out of sync. And then once they got hit by two big body blow, big plays by Clemson, they just didn't have, like David said, they didn't have the offensive firepower to try to keep up. And by then, uh, everybody could pretty much lose interest in the second half. I think what jumped out at me and I don't know if it's depth or exactly how to explain it, but when you look from the Clemson side, they lose Dexter Lawrence, their best defensive lineman, sure. arguably their best defensive player. They just plug in another guy, another NFL hopeful, and away they go. They don't miss a beat. Notre Dame loses Julian Vaughn, its best cornerback. Uh, I'm sorry, Julian Love, and they plug in Dante Vaughn, and the rest is history, as they say. So perhaps the frontline talent can hang with Clemson, but once you sort of turn, once you pull the curtain on that frontline talent, maybe it's a little bit different. That's what jumped out at me. Now, that said, the, with the number that Dabo Swinney, the Clemson coach, did on Nick Saban in that championship game, oh the, way he, the way he outcoached him, the way he, everything across the board, that says something to what a talented coach Swinney is. And frankly, I didn't necessarily see that huge coaching advantage against Brian Kelly. I saw more of a talent advantage in that game. And one way to look at it, too, is their backup quarterback is better than our backup quarterback because this kid, Lawrence, some people Jeez, are projecting okay. as the next uh, Andrew Luck, Tom Brady. I mean, that's how they're talking about this guy already. And it sure does seem that way. And, and he's head and shoulders better than pretty much everybody that was in the playoff. Wow, crazy stuff. And he'll actually be up here at Notre Dame Stadium in 2020. He'll still be a junior at Clemson. So, uh, you know what? But Brian Kelly did sort of reflect on it. He was asked, you know, what are your thoughts moving forward? Take, he, he was just basically asked to a few takeaways on where his program is, and here's how he described it. If you look at the, the last two years, this is a team that's won 20, you know, 23 out of 22 out of 25 games. I mean, it's a really good, strong, solid football program that needs to continue to work towards a championship. You know, we don't play for a conference championship, so, you know, it's the ultimate goal. You know, we're in here licking our wounds after being one of the four teams. Um, you know, that's a good place to kind of take restock and, and get stronger from it. So we'll get better because of this. Losing gives you a perspective. It's not great. No one ever likes to go through losing to gain a perspective, but uh, our guys saw that they can win a game like this, and we'll go to work on that. I agree 100% with him, but I don't want a pattern to start with Brian Kelly in big games. I don't want Notre Dame fans to say, hey, as long as we're in a game in the fourth quarter of a playoff or championship game, that's where we want to be. Because their two chances at the big time, I mean, I was was doing something else by halftime, and that's not good, Todd. Right. Yeah, of course. And so the the question remains, is this the, the next step? Um, is, is this a, a step forward for Notre Dame, or is this as good as it gets? And I think that's I, – I don't know. And yep. should, should Notre Dame fans expect more? I mean, to get this team into the playoffs, undefeated regular season, obviously it's all tarnished because of one game. But in all seriousness, given the talent that Clemson has and as good of a team as that is, perhaps maybe it shouldn't be thought as a disappointing season. I don't think that's really fair. 
I agree. Undefeated, nonetheless, you know, in a regular season, and that's nothing to sneeze at. I don't care. In a conference, out of a conference, you win every game you're playing. Uh, something to be said for that. Todd, let's, uh, let's go forward now and look at this basketball uh, two teams here. And there was a lot at stake. We recorded this on Friday mornings. Um, there was a lot at stake at Purcell Pavilion for a early January game in women's college basketball. Sure. I mean, Louisville, first time in franchise history they could have ever been a number one uh, uh, team in the country. Uh, and uh, they won this game on Thursday night and then won uh, at Georgia Tech over the weekend. They would have been number one, and chances are they're going to win that Georgia Tech game. So when they're kind of uh, – they were holding the pace. I mean, they, it was their game in the first half. Uh, and then Erica Ogabawale woke up and – and Notre Dame said, no, nah, I think we like being number one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they were number one again after UConn was beaten by Baylor. Louisville has clearly put itself in this pace, in this place among the nation's elite. I think it's Notre Dame, UConn, Baylor, and Louisville. Yep. I really do. And yep. I, I don't think I'm leaving anybody out at that at this point. And this was a close game. Uh, as a matter of fact, Louisville was up 35-33 at halftime here at Purcell Pavilion, but uh, Enrique took over, scored 26 of her 30 points in the second half, and Notre Dame outscored Louisville 24-12 in the third quarter and finished with an 82-68, relatively easy win. It's the second 1-2 game Notre Dame has played this year. Obviously, they lost the Connecticut one, uh, won this one. So uh, Bree Turner had 16, Jack Young 14. Uh, this team just keeps humming along. Up next for the Irish Wake Forest Sunday. This Sunday, it's a home game at 1 p.m. Obviously, unless there's some sort of massive letdown, you wouldn't see any problems there. But uh, another substantial hurdle cleared, and, and a nice win from Muffet and the girls because these are the these are kind of your measuring stick games. You get about six of them a year in the regular season because everybody else you're going to beat by 30 or more. Um, so uh, a, a nice test for Notre Dame, and they passed it well. And let's, I, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up Jessica Shepard's 15 boards, too. I mean, she just yeah. dominated underneath as well. As far as the men, uh, tough loss, Syracuse uh, last weekend. 10-1 uh, run, second half, kind of put them sure. away. Uh, but they got good news with Fluger coming back. Up next, we've got Boston College, right? Yep, 10-5 and five overall, 0-2 in conference. Uh, the losses to Virginia Tech, 81-66. That's a 15-point loss. And then the 10-point 72-62 to Syracuse that you just mentioned. Uh, BC also 0-2 in conference play, only 9-5 and overall. They've lost three straight games. You would think Notre Dame should and will get this one. Uh, that is a noon start Saturday here at Purcell Pavilion. But certainly the big news isn't on anything that happened on the court. It's what happened behind the scenes. You mentioned it, Rex Fluger. I'm surprised. I have to admit, I think Mike Bray was a little bit surprised. But indeed, he is going to return for a fifth season. Uh, he tore his ACL December 15th against Purdue when he was arguably having the best game of his career, um, had his surgery on 111. Um, he's going to do this MBA accelerated program. He's a really bright guy, so he's going to pick up uh, his MBA degree while he's at it. Nothing wrong with that. This was something interested, I, interesting I didn't realize. Uh, Rex Fluger's mom is battling brain cancer. So Mike Bray had a quote on part of the reason Rex Fluger came back. The quote was, we need him and he needs us. Mm. That's something Mike Bray said, and I certainly can follow what he's saying there. This now means the entire team back, as long as something unforeseen doesn't happen. Bray's entire team from this season will be back next season. That only bodes well. The thing about Rex Fluger, perhaps not an offensive superstar, does contribute in certain spots, um, but he is absolutely asked to guard, defend the best player on the other team, and he does a masterful job of doing so. 
not to mention his strong leadership, just an all-around good guy. So that's some pretty good news for Mike Bray. I think this this season's going to be a little bit of a struggle, cutting teeth with a lot of young guys, but I think it'll all start to come together next season. And most importantly, avoid the long losing streak like they had last year and, and you know, just stay, get your head above water. And, and Boston College might be the perfect opponent to, to do that with. So we hope for the best. Uh, yeah, and you better get, the, you better just not, not to interrupt your rags, but you better get that one because you have to go to Chapel Hill on Tuesday. Yeah, I know. Uh, all right, Todd, uh, one last look uh, at hockey. We always kind of wrap up the show with hockey. Uh, they did play the outdoors game, lost to Michigan, didn't look very good, and neither did the Lions trying to get food because I guess there was a big problem at the <laughs> stadium right. for people trying to get concessions. Uh, but it looked cool on TV, um, even though the team didn't play very well. Now they got to get their act together uh, as they you know head down the stretch here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, four and two loss to Michigan there in the let's take it outside game. Dropped Notre Dame to 12 wins. Six losses, one tie overall. They are five wins, four losses, no ties in conference, Big Ten conference play. Uh, a home matchup, a doubleheader against Minnesota this weekend. It's not like last year, Rags, when they had that 16 game winning streak and just rolled through the Big Ten. A little bit trickier this year. Bunched up quite a bit more. Ohio State leads the way. Uh, five wins, two losses, three ties. Wisconsin stands second, four wins, three losses, three ties. Notre Dame sits third at, at that 5-4-0 and zero record. And then Minnesota, four wins, three losses, three ties. So it's very much bunched up this year, a lot different than it is uh, than it was last year. So that makes these games, it adds importance to all these games. I know that Notre Dame plays Minnesota this weekend, and then we'll go up to Madison the following weekend uh, to play Wisconsin. So we'll see how that goes. A couple big series coming up for the Irish hockey team. All right, Todd, we're going to wrap things up here. The Blue Gold Report, as always, being brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Don't forget to, uh, wherever you found us, especially if you're podcasting, you subscribe to the show, rate and review us. We always like to hear from you. And, of course, we are on every uh, Saturday morning at 7 a.m. on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM. Todd, uh, probably a lot less football talk next week as we head into the meat of the college basketball season. We'll do it again next week. Looking forward to it, my friend. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.